Hello everyone, we are listening to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Owen is currently napping, but it is very likely he will be joining us a little bit later because he only likes to sleep for like 30 minutes at a time. Today we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 13, Secret Santa. In this episode, Phyllis gets her wish, Oscar has a crush, and Andy terrorizes Aaron with birds. We kick off this episode with a cold open that shows Jim and Dwight trying to get the office into the Christmas spirit and ready for that day's Christmas party. Yeah, we really haven't had a whole lot with the party planning committee this season, if you think about it. So think back, remember last season, Jim and Dwight were appointed to the party planning committee because of all the stuff that happened between Phyllis and Angela last Christmas with Phyllis's blackmail of Angela. This is actually one of the better Christmas parties, I think, just overall, and we'll talk about that in the main part of the episode. However, in this cold open, Jim and Dwight sort of maintain their distinction, let's say, as not really into party planning, doing the bare minimum, let's say. It it really is just the stereotype of kind of the juxtaposition of males planning a party and females planning a party. Yes. And so with the all-female party planning committee... There were a lot of decorations, and there were there was a schedule, and things were bigger and grander, mostly because Michael wanted things to be bigger and grander. But with Dwight and Jim, as we saw with Kelly's birthday, it is really just kind of slapped together, and we're like, well, we recognized it. I don't know what more you wanted. Like, come on, this is this is. You had a birthday party. What more do you want? So very similar to Kelly's birthday where she got to choose the theme or decide what it was. Dwight and Jim have decided that they're going to unveil a bare tree and say, well, it's Christmas spirit. Everyone's going to decorate it together. And it's artificial because probably they forgot to get a real tree, but they spin it as the camaraderie and Christmas spirit is everlasting. Everyone's really sort of bagging on this Christmas tree unveiling, starting with Ryan. Someone points out, oh, it's like Rockefeller Center where you count down to the lighting of the Christmas tree. Ryan says he's been there and this is nothing like it, which, duh, obviously. Nothing can really replicate the unveiling of the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. And it's just, it is pretty disappointing. And Jim and Dwight are trying to, like I said, play it off, but then they're just like, come on, guys, like, really trying very hard to spin it. I do think that this is the office being kind of just overly sour for no reason. Like, I don't think it's a terrible idea. Hey, guys, here's this Christmas tree. For sure. We're going to decorate it together as just kind of a, like you said, a moment of office camaraderie. I don't know how your family did it when you were growing up, but part of the fun was everyone decorating the tree together. 
and you know we put on music my mom would bake cookies because she was allergic to um to pine trees and then it was just something that we did it was a nice moment of well yeah everyone's deciding where this goes and then um my parents went to our local like Christmas tree festival several day several years in a row and decided that they were going to then choose like themes <laughs> for our tree um, and really get into like fancy decorating, not just hodgepodge of the ornaments we made in school. This is when we were older. Also, I would say a side note to this cold open is just this little line about Dwight's diabolical plan and how he's putting it on hold for Christmas time, mostly because the days are growing short and it's cold and he's tired, which I can wholly identify with when it comes to winter. And usually seasonal affective disorder doesn't set in until after Christmas when all the lights and sort of the, the spirit of the season is done, but that is definitely how I feel by February. Yeah, uh, as you know, it hits me a little bit sooner than that because I hate fall and it's the worst. <laughs> it is easily the worst season. And so we are about mm, three weeks from me being in a pretty bad mood all the time. Climate change might aid you in that, in that fall, traditional fall and autumn will come probably later and later, unfortunately. Sure. Also, though, I... One thing I've always thought is that if you were like a nurse in the winter, it would have to be just the most depressing time because you usually are working pretty hard. You don't get a whole lot of time to like just sit and relax or like pay attention to what's going on outside. And so you will get to work before the sun comes up right? and you leave work after the sun goes down. And so you pretty much never see the sun for a solid like three months so i went to law school in vermont and from the library you could rent those sun lamps um because you similar thing and it's colder longer obviously in the northeast and then you're just studying all day and you're just in your library carol all day so you could just actually check those out from the library and if you haven't used one of those sunboxes and you have seasonal affective disorder, I will highly recommend because it can make a big difference to your overall mood. And it, it's like 20 minutes that you just sit in front of this and you can do it like at your desk or something. Also, I mean, Vermont isn't in like the Arctic Circle or something like that, but it is further north. Exactly. And so that window does get a little bit smaller than here in the Midwest. My first year there, it snowed a lot on Halloween like Halloween in the Northeast got canceled because of how much it snowed and I was like oh this is cool and then by my third year I was like no this is not cool it's snowing from October until April sometimes like I wore sweaters to my final exams in May you can tell we haven't podcasted in a while since we're throwing in these uh, random tidbits but as we get into the main part of the episode as we've said in the cold open it's Christmas time Yes, and as the new heads of the party planning committee, as well as Jim's extra weight that he can pull here in this situation as co-manager, Jim has decided to allow Phyllis to be the office Santa for this party. And Phyllis says that she thinks she would be a good candidate for it because she has a you know jolly disposition and the figure for it. 
And really, she does do a really good job of being Santa. She is very much in character all the time. And everybody in the office really seems to be getting into this because of Phyllis. Except for one person. And you won't need many guesses to guess who that person is. Yes. Unfortunately, Michael sees himself as just the all-time everything. Like, he, if he was a kid in high school, he would see himself as the lead in the play all the time, even if he wasn't deserving or people were trying to spread it around. I think what's interesting about Phyllis playing Santa is she says that she's been rallying to do this for several years, which means that she's probably been asking Michael and he just keeps putting her off because he wants to be Santa because he likes the attention. He likes to be the main character. Like that's just Michael in a nutshell. So basically Michael throws a temper tantrum about not being able to play Santa saying it's just crazy to have Phyllis as a woman. And what are we, what are we turning to? And Jim doesn't budge. She's like, Nope. So then Michael tries to have this dueling Santa thing where he out Santa's Phyllis and then it just really torpedoes the party is what ends up happening. Yeah, nobody is going for this at all. And Jim decides to be democratic about it and be like, all right, let's take an office poll. Who wants Phyllis to be Santa? And everybody raises their hand and Michael says, who wants Michael to be Santa? And Michael raises his hand and then so does Dwight because, you know. And so this is where Michael really kind of goes off the deep end. Let me jump in real quick because one of my favorite all-time office quotes comes up in this episode when Jim is trying to corral Michael and how he's handling this situation because in this dueling Santa setup, there's this really fun backdrop and Phyllis is sort of recreating the mall Santa thing where you can get your picture taken with Santa and, and sit on Santa's lap. So Michael's recreated that off to the side and he's allowing people to sit on his lap and he's trying to almost do like a one for one or, or point out like, well, more people have sat on my lap than Phyllis's. So then he tries to get Ryan to sit on his lap and Ryan evades him. But Michael's like, no, I need this. I need this. So Jim takes Michael aside and says, you can't yell out, I need this, I need this, as you try to pin an employee to your lap. Doesn't have to say more than that. And and that's when Michael takes that opportunity, having been outvoted, having been really reprimanded by Jim, and just stalks off to his office. But not before jamming his Santa hat into the punch bowl. <laughs> yes, which gross. And so while he's in his office and just kind of sulking, he is thinking about how he can take this back and one-up Phyllis's Santa. And so he turns his coat and pants inside out and he moves his Santa beard down below his chin and he now comes out as Jesus. However, he still has this really sour down in the dumps, he's going to ruin everything sort of attitude. And if you've ever been around someone like that, in my opinion, often no amount of positivity or trying to ignore them or the mindset of we're just going to overcome this one bad apple 
we can really do that because especially with someone as motivated as Michael, he is dead set on just casting a pall over the party, on heckling Phyllis, on just ruining it because he didn't get his way. Especially when that person has a microphone. Like Michael does in this situation, he commandeers the karaoke machine and as people are opening their Secret Santa gifts, he, Michael is providing commentary and just, like you said, bringing the whole party down. I will say, though, this section is pretty funny. Like, Michael yeah. is, is, is legit funny in this situation. He's sort of doing a roast almost. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And what's interesting, because the episode's called Secret Santa, we don't get a big focus on it, though. So think back to season two, and there was the Secret Santa thing. I think because there's more differing storylines, but we just sort of see a little bit of the Secret Santa aspect of it. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. Like, we see three people, essentially. Like, we see who who their Secret Santa is. Like, we see three different gifts exchanged, and that's it. And so Jim keeps trying to move this party forward and move past Michael being a whiny baby, and he unplugs the karaoke machine, and again, Michael storms off into his office. And this is where he really takes it to another level, because Michael then calls David Wallace to complain that Jim let Phyllis be Santa. This is one of those instances where I know it's the character of Michael Scott and you have to sort of suspend reality sometimes about that he would have been fired as we've shown from this podcast multiple times and long, long ago. But the fact that Michael finds it okay to call David about this issue is sort of mind-boggling and doesn't match up with the fact that he got this sort of promotion to the big picture manager of Scranton. Yeah. And so David, in this instance, and like you said, in other instances, he doesn't like just stop this before it even starts and let Michael, you know, complain to him about little stuff. And he just kind of goes along with it. And David's just like, you know what? Now isn't the greatest time to talk. There's kind of a lot going on right now. And Michael is like, oh, what, you know, what are you talking about? And so David tells Michael that Dunder Mifflin has found a buyer for the company and that David and pretty much all the executives are about to lose their jobs. Yes, David says that the buyer plans to clean house. Now, the problem with that is that Michael inflates himself in my opinion, to be more important than he is here. So he's just a regional manager. And and Michael hears clean house, and he thinks that that's everybody, that they're scrapping the entire employee count. I, I would say that I don't think it's that much of a reach for Michael to believe that. Um, it, it is, and just for because of the plot, it is purposefully unclear what David means by clean house. Exactly. And so this kind of forces Michael to have a change of heart as to how he feels about the rest of the day. He kind of realizes that this petty little thing with Phyllis 
doesn't really matter anymore because he is under the impression that he and the rest of the people in the office are about to lose their jobs. And so they kind of need to have this last happy moment in memory at Dunder Mifflin. It's sort of then a weird setup for the remainder of the episode, I would say. I do take issue a little bit with the back and forth storyline nature of whether Dunder Mifflin's going to go out of business or not. And I only say that because the previous episode with Scott's Tots, it was not addressed at all. I'm not saying it has to be a through line, but it's such a, like a major thing and it's such a major shakeup for just the structure of the office as we've known it that it's kind of surprising that it was skipped over last episode. So what is a little weird about what happens is that after this call, Michael decides that he's going to be the savior of the party, kind of as you said, but he does it in a weird way. He does it in that way he he takes on that when he has information that he wants to share, but he sort of just lets it slip and it's sort of all doom and gloom. And he calls everybody into the conference room, and he's sort of, like, trying to apologize, I guess. Yeah. Owen watched the episodes. He knows. Trying to apologize and then lets it slip that they're not going to have jobs anymore. And, of course, that freaks people out. And Jim is the one that's trying to lead the way on the situation, as he did previously in the murder episode. So then the result is that the entire office gets on speakerphone with David via Michael's terrible way of getting him on the phone, like pretending to be his kid's pediatrician. One thing real quick, though, and because how we got here is that Michael, like you said earlier, is very is a little confused as to what is actually going on here. And he says... He announces to the, the the office at whole in the conference room that David Wallace told him that the company is being sold and everybody is losing their jobs. Right. And Jim catches that and says, hold on. Did David say that the company is being sold or did he say that everybody is losing their jobs? And Michael's like, well... That's a good point. Michael, Michael says that, well, David said that he and the executives are getting getting fired... And I can't imagine a scenario where Meredith Palmer gets to keep her job, but David Wallace gets fired. And so this is when Michael, yes, uses terrible tactics to get David Wallace on the phone. Side note here, he says that he pretends that he's the pediatrician and then they call the school. It is clearly dark outside, and so I have to imagine that school is not in at this moment. Or that they're on winter break. That also possible. However, like we said, it's winter, and it gets dark at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so he, they, the kids very well, very well may still be at school. Yeah, we always have this maybe like a time issue with parties to where it seems like they've been there a lot longer than just the work day and no one's really hanging out for their work Christmas party in the office after hours. And so on this call, David Wallace does clarify that the company that is buying Dunder Mifflin only wants the distribution 
part of it because that's the only thing that is successful with Dunder Mifflin. And so, yes, everyone in the office is keeping their jobs. And this leads to a celebration. And after this, you do kind of see that camaraderie that Jim and Dwight were going for and that Michael, I'm really surprised they didn't have him like take credit for saving the branch right and that this newfound joy in the office was because of him yeah he kind of he does that a little bit this is similar to what he did in season three with safety training where he paints himself as the hero of the day he says, you know, first this office needed a second Santa, then they needed a Jesus, and then they needed a Michael. So he sort of brushes off how he ruined the party earlier. Right. Yeah. Good point. It's funny that when Dwight thought that the branch was going to get shut down and everyone was losing their job, he, like, karate kicks over the Christmas tree. And then once they've figured out that it's just the top brass that's going to get axed, Meredith and Madge from the warehouse pick it up. And speaking of the warehouse, that brings us to one of our B plots. We typically don't see the warehouse staff get involved with office parties and particularly the Christmas parties. Or with this season as a whole, because this True. is kind of the first time we've seen them in, I don't know, I, I don't remember the last time we've seen yeah. the warehouse people. This might have been Craig Robinson's first line of this season perhaps like don't quote us on that but it really could be and so it is important to note that the warehouse guys are up at the party because oscar has a crush on the new warehouse guy whose name is matt and this is the first time we are hearing about matt it is very odd to me that it is a known fact that matt is gay at this point yeah It just seems like one of those things that, especially for a new employee, I don't know, wouldn't necessarily come up unless he was the one uh, giving the information. Yeah, exactly. But why would the office workers know that intimate detail? Well, I mean, word travels fast, I'm sure, with office gossip. But yeah, if Matt may be very securely out of the closet and is comfortable with his sexuality, and that's great, and so... He may not even see it as a big deal because it isn't. He may not even see it as a big deal to be like, oh, hey, I'm by the way, I'm gay or just in just general conversation saying something like, oh, me and my partner or at some point, blah, 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 blah. And so Oscar is now fixated on Matt and he is very, very timid in trying to get to know Matt and this is where Pam steps in to try and help Oscar out even though he didn't really ask her to do that yeah Pam is a little intrusive and pushy here maybe to try and make this happen and she does say in a one-on-one to the camera that Oscar and Matt are the only gay guys she knows yes but they should definitely be together I think we have talked about that on this podcast at some point before where 
that is an unfortunate situation that does get thrust onto the gay community that, oh, I know this person, they're gay and single. I know this other person, they're gay and single. Well, obviously, I'm going to try and get them together, even though they may or may not be compatible as people. And this does happen for straight people as well, especially as people get a little bit older, say around the age Antoinette and I are, where generally at this time people are married or in long-term committed relationships of some sort. And so that number is starting to dwindle as to people who are still single. And so if you happen to know two single people, you're like, oh, well, I'm going to try and get them together because, well, I don't know many other single people. Sure, you try to play matchmaker for people and they may not have anything bringing them together besides the fact that they're single or the fact that they're gay and single. Like that, Those probably aren't enough most often of the time, I would say, most of the time to partner those people up. And so Pam, like I said, jumps in here and she sees Matt at the food table and just says, hey, great pate, right? And she says, Oscar actually made it and calls Oscar over just to try and get him to talk to Matt. And it is very, very awkward because everybody just kind of stands there not talking and Pam has to keep saying things to break the awkward silence. Right, eventually getting to, man, how come the good ones are never straight? And then Oscar says, okay, thank you, Pam, kind of dismissing her from the conversation. Oscar then does that thing where you have complete control of a situation and you try to organically create a conversation with somebody. And so he takes Matt's check down to the warehouse and says to Daryl, hey, I got Matt's check. Is he around here somewhere? And Daryl says, no, he's out on a delivery. And so Oscar's like, okay, I'll wait. And Daryl goes, Matt's a pretty good looking dude, huh? And Oscar's like, okay, never mind. I'll just leave it here and leaves. And then later on in the party, Matt is getting ready to leave. And so he comes over to Oscar and Pam, just says goodbye. And Oscar says, okay, see you later, Mark. And Matt corrects him and walks away and Pam just looks kind of confused at Oscar and Oscar's like, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. I don't like that. I don't like games like that. I don't know. That just seems silly. But also, I'm pretty sure I'm trying to think forward a little bit. I don't know if this even comes up any further. Yeah, it does. At um, When they're at the Dave and Buster's type oh, place. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. They, Oscar tries to, um, yeah start up more of a conversation with Matt. This isn't the only love interest storyline that we check in with. We also get some developments in the Aaron and Andy love affair, and it continues to be very awkward. Just so awkward. Andy says that he asked Dwight and Jim to make sure that he was going to be Aaron's secret Santa. And... Andy thought it would be a good idea to get Aaron the 12 days of Christmas for Christmas. And I gotta say, it's not a terrible idea. It is very thoughtful. 
It is, just not in the way that Andy decides to execute it. Yes, in literal execution, we do find that it isn't great. And as Andy says, it's not his fault that the first six days are like 30 birds. He should have done something like, like you've seen Home Alone where there's turtled up ornaments or something like that. Yeah. But I don't know how you do that. Like, a, a partridge in a pear tree, I guess like, I don't know, pear? I don't know how you do that. You have to be a little bit more creative maybe than Andy was who took it very literal and just tried to corral all these birds and stuck them in Aaron's car and she had to do an announcement to the office saying whoever's her secret Santa and giving her all this stuff like please stop because the birds are scratching her up they're tearing out her hair to make nests it is sort of one of those things where like okay what do you do and where did you get all these live birds also the first time I saw this episode it does kind of make you stop and be like huh yeah, the first, like, seven days of Christmas are exclusively birds, except for five golden rings. And then what do you do for Lords of Leaping and Ladies Dancing? Right. Yeah. They didn't really address that. No. And so we do see this conversation between Aaron and Andy. And Aaron is like, nobody will tell me that they are my secret Santa. I'm really just trying to figure it out so I can get them to stop this. And Aaron kind of jokingly asks, Andy, are you my secret Santa? And Andy, like, semi-sarcastically, but trying to still be serious, be like, yes, yep, it's me. This is almost the exact same situation as in Murder Mystery, where... They are communicating, but they are just talking past each other. I was just going to say that. Because they, both of them want this thing, but they, neither one wants to admit to the other person that they want this thing. And so they kind of playfully flirt with each other while trying to make it seem like they're not flirting with each other. Ah! It is dumb. Owen, you're right. Yeah, so then in Michael's spitefulness because he couldn't play Santa when he's on the karaoke mic he reveals that Andy is actually Aaron's secret Santa prematurely they hadn't gotten there yet he's just being rude about it all and so that's sort of I don't Aaron's a little like frustrated by that because she felt like he was kidding like he wasn't fully honest with her in that moment when she asked since they were doing the weird flirtation thing and so this seems like disaster for andy it is clear that aaron is very very upset about getting all of these birds and he says that a gentleman would usually quit at this moment but andy does not decide to do that and To be honest, he does a pretty good job in salvaging this 12 Days of Christmas gift. At the very end of the day, as everybody is walking out of the office, they hear just this commotion coming from kind of the alleyway that is to the right of the door. And at this time, a drum line comes out. And it is clear that this is the 12 drummers drumming and so they perform do this performance andy joins in says 
Merry Christmas, Aaron. And they, you know, do more drum stuff. That sort of, yeah, plays out the episode. Yeah. I'm really embarrassed that I just said more drum stuff. I know you used to play the drums. I used to play the drums. You have more musical knowledge than that. We're just going to chalk it up to some just sleep deprivation. Sure. And so that is literally the end of the episode. I thought this is actually a really good episode and significantly better than kind of the ones that we have seen preceding this. Right. This is probably the best Christmas episode. So we did not get one in season four. Season five, I think, is the worst. It's the Moroccan Christmas. And the season three was Benihana. So it's sort of easy to top Benihana and Moroccan Christmas. I think, yes, this is a pretty good one. The decorations ended up being really nice. Just the, the camaraderie of the whole event was pretty good. Well, I mean just the episodes of this season preceding oh, as well. Oh, okay. Because, and I think it just has to do with the timing of the season. And we see this with pretty much every single season, which is the first five or six episodes, they kind of pick up where they left off in the previous season, move the storylines along that they left behind, and then you just kind of get like 10 straight episodes of filler and now at episode 13, we're getting a little bit closer to the end of this season. And so they kind of have to move the storyline along to get to a point to where they can end the season on something and then start the cycle all over again. Sure. So let's go to the annex with Internet and find out any fun facts about this episode. Shockingly, there's not very many. It was written by Mindy Kaling. And when it premiered, it was followed by a 30 Rock episode of the same name. And that's all I've got. Who gets fired? We lose Michael in this episode, (laughs) which Owen thinks is funny. We lose him for several reasons. Um, He calls Phyllis Tranny Claws, which... Oh, boy. Yeah, would definitely be a joke that would not make an episode now. He asks people to sit on his lap because he is a man and he's a real man. And once you sit on his lap. And once you sit on his lap, you will realize it. And then there's the big one of depicting Jesus in a public office building. Yeah, as Toby tries to tell him, like, you can't really bring religion in. What is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee Award is the That's More Like It Award going to Dwight. And this, and what I mean by that is that his character in this episode, I think, aligns more with the character we have known and grown to love as Dwight and not sort of, the the turn against Michael that we've seen. He's the one that votes for Michael to remain Santa. He gets these pieces of something for his secret Santa gift that he's supposed to build. I think it's sort of like a piece a day. And he's thinking it's a gun and you can see him wearing band-aids on his fingers so that he doesn't get fingerprints on the gun as he's trying to assemble it. 
so that's just sort of more in line with Dwight. And one of my favorite Dwight quotes comes from the cold open when he's talking about unveiling the Christmas tree and people are sort of complaining about how lame it is. And he sort of yell, you know, yell shouts in a way and says, this has been a successful unveiling. Like that is the declarative statement and that is exactly how it's going to be. So I appreciate Dwight in this episode. He sort of puts aside that diabolical plan and is more the Dwight that we're used to. Curtis, what is your Dundee? I didn't even think about Dwight wearing band-aids <laughs> on his fingers yeah. so he doesn't get fingerprints on these this supposed gun. <laughs> I just assumed he had like cut up his fingers trying to put this thing together. <laughs> we kind of already talked about this, but my Dundee is I can relate and that goes to Dwight in the cold open talking about how he is a little depressed because it is getting dark earlier and very, very much agree with that. Like I said earlier, I hate fall. And one of the reasons I hate fall is because exactly that. It starts to get dark earlier. And by the end of fall, it's like 4.30 and the sun has already gone down. And why does anybody like that? Yeah. Pumpkin spice doesn't outweigh that. Also, pumpkin spice, you can make it anytime. Yeah, it's just nutmeg and clove and cinnamon. and cinnamon. That exists all the time, people. <laughs> Who's your employee of the month? I'm going to go with Jim and Dwight because this was, as we said, a pretty successful Christmas. And I think that they were kind of the driving forces behind that. We have a successful Secret Santa thing that Michael doesn't try to derail because he gets... He's a whiny baby and doesn't like what he got. Right. The Christmas tree idea is a good idea. And Jim allowing Phyllis to be Santa, you know, makes her happy. But also, like we said, she does a really good job at it. And everybody else seems to be enjoying her as Santa. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Phyllis for all the reasons that you just said. It's something she's wanted to do. She does a really good job at it, and she just brings a good element of cheer to the party. So that does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.